Hi, this is Music, Movies, and Moods. I'm Noe, and this is a podcast journal for me to talk about what I think is magic and mystifying and memeable about the media I consume. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. This week, I want to talk about Mitski's newest album, and it has an amazing title, The Land is Inhospitable and So Are We. I need to hear Mitski say that right away. Mitski is an icon. I didn't realize that back in 2019, Mitski was going to stop music. At one point, she said she regretted using her real name. And I feel for her. Obviously, I have no idea what it's like to be famous. Mitski is more in the mainstream than a lot of what I listen to. That's not a flex. Okay? It's a problem. But anyway, I didn't know any of that was happening. And then she went on to create Laurel Hell, which is incredible. I love that album. I re-listen to it all the time. I know that anyone who's a fan of her music does. Honestly, I think Mitski understands the mentally ill girlies out there, and I'm one of them. So like I said, I listen to Laurel Hell pretty regularly. It's an incredible album. It's powerful and vulnerable at the same time. And that's really something that I I crave from female singer-songwriters. Being a woman is a painful experience in general, and I just want to hear women sing about it. It's important to me. And this album does a pretty solid job of it. So I'm going to say right from the gate that I did not like this album at first. Reading about the fact that it was inspired by spaghetti westerns makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of twang in the album. Not from her voice, though. Not from Mitski's vocals. I understand the spaghetti western influence. I do. I also saw that she was inspired by Arthur Russell. And Arthur Russell has inspired a lot of other musicians that I really like. And I like Arthur Russell. I think I have a handful of his songs on my, um, on my liked songs and Spotify. I also didn't know anything about her affection for country music before this album. And so for me, it came out of left field. Also did not help that one of the singles is Bug Like an Angel. Bug Like an Angel, not my favorite. There is something difficult for me to listen to about the part where everyone's singing family. Huh. It sends chills up my spine, but in a bad way. That's the worst thing we're going to say about this album because it is beautiful. And the more I listen to it, the more I like and appreciate it. That also kind of creates for me, you know, when you listen to an album and after a while you've listened to it so many times that there are songs that you always skip. I'm always going to skip that one and probably The Frost. It's a little too twangy for me. I'm sorry, Mitski. But I love the lyrics. I love the lyrics in general. I think the first lyric that stuck out to me was about eating a whole cake and throwing up on an inconvenient Christmas. She says it gets stuck in her brain. It's stuck in my brain now, imagining her eating a whole cake. It could easily have not happened. This could have been a character. But I'm going to remember that for a long time. My favorite song currently... This is tough because I love I Love Me After You and I love My Love Mine All Mine. Do you see I only like songs with love in the title? No, that's not true. But those are all incredible. The Deal. I've seen reviews describing it as sweeping and angsty. I think those are 
Those are two words that perfectly describe the album. Sweeping and angsty. If that's what you are looking for and you like Mitski, it's going to work for you. I'm not a big country music fan, so take that with a grain of salt. But it's not, Mitski's not singing like, you know, a modern country music musician. I think it's an album that might take people some time to get, like to understand. It's like an album you need to eat and fully digest. Then the more you listen to the album, the more you know it. And so you know where she's going. Am I making any sense? I think I am. Another favorite of mine on the album is When Memories Snow. I think that's the most classic Mitski. I, when she says, if I break, can I go on break? Immediately spoke to me about mental illness in a capitalist society. Like, can, can we afford to break? Can we afford to fall apart? I also really liked listening to the thousand hands that clap for me in the dark. Well, here's another set of clapping hands, Mitski. Also, did anyone else see that TikTok where there was like a little cat singing or something and everyone thought that that one sounded like Mitski? I remember that. And I felt seen. So because I spent so much of listening to this album thinking I didn't like it, it definitely brought to mind of Montreal and how Kevin Barnes has taken the direction of their music through so many different phases of Montreal is on this like Euro dance music kick right now. It's not my favorite, but I will follow where Kevin Barnes leads. And I just hope he's inspired by pop or more electric stuff in the future. Maybe he, maybe he won't be. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe that doesn't happen with Mitski. Knowing that we almost lost her music for good. Gosh, I I don't want to scare her away at this point. Everyone be nice to her. Okay. Put your phones down if you see her in concert. I know she doesn't really want to do that anymore. Really, though, I I hope that we can just follow where she leads us. I think it's an honor. I think we should be grateful that she shares her art with us. So because this is basically my Halloween episode, I have absolutely no idea if I'm going to have another episode before Halloween, so that's what I'm going to call this. Uh, I want to talk about the Haunted Mansion, everyone. I'm sure it's really at the top of everyone's minds. I kind of fell down a rabbit hole watching these, which is really easy to do when there's anything related to Disney, especially something that's that's been in existence for decades and at this point has all this lore. Aside from lore, though, they remade it 20 years after the 2003 movie with Eddie Murphy, which I'm going to talk about after because I do want to do some comparing and contrasting. So at this point, I've seen Haunted Mansion 2023, which is a PG-13 flick, twice. I think twice is a lot for someone like me who, going in, didn't know anything about Haunted Mansion, has not been on the rides, and didn't think this movie looked very good. And it was not very good. It was okay. It was fine. I think the rating of 3.6 Google is giving me right now is... Probably, it probably makes sense. It might be even a little high. Because this is a movie people are going to like. It has a fun cast. It has a fun, I want to say a fun plot. We'll get to that in a minute. It's it's a fun movie in general. Came out a little bit before Halloween though. I guess, you know, everyone who's obsessed with Halloween all year round is thinking, that means nothing to me. You can release it in July. I'm ready for it. But the first thing I really noticed about the movie is how dark it is. 
It's kind of like they wouldn't turn the lights on in the movie, which is taking me back to watching The Crown and thinking, do they not know how to turn the lamps on? Because The Crown does, in fact, take place at a time when there are light bulbs. Also, Haunted Mansion is about a house. There were at least sconces. Granted, I recognize turning the light on is not the biggest problem for the people in this movie. I get that. Which leads me to my biggest issue with the movie, that they're, they have, the family has to live. Rosario Dawson and her son have to live in the house. And spoiler alert, they can't go anywhere outside of the home because everywhere they go, they are haunted by ghosts. That's interesting and nightmarish. As far as magic, I definitely thought there were some magic things about this movie. I love the New Orleans setting. I think the costume designs are so much fun. I'm not sure why Rosario Dawson, who's always wearing beautiful clothing, is wearing that beautiful clothing and heels while she's like running through the house in terror. I think that if I was as terrified 24-7 as she was and her son, it would be like a t-shirt and sweatpants situation. Wouldn't really be doing my hair. Wouldn't really be opening the door and greeting people. I'd probably just open the door and say, you know, like, you have no idea the hell I've been going through. Just really frazzled. I think Danny DeVito for sure is magic. I think Owen Wilson gives it the good old college try. For sure. I really like Owen Wilson and I'm constantly watching like Wes Anderson movies and wondering why I I can't get more of Owen Wilson. At this point, felt like I got enough of him, you know. This is the first thing I've seen Tiffany Haddish in. I thought she was a distracting pick, honestly, for Harriet. Sometimes I thought it was perfect and her personality worked and her line delivery was good, so it wasn't all bad, but she really was taking me out of the plot. And um, Danny DeVito, as delightful as he was, kind of did the same thing. I think a lot of the movie took me out of the plot. Lakeith Stanfield, does he always talk really low like that? I didn't like Jamie Lee Curtis as Madame Leota. And I like Jamie Lee Curtis, but I don't understand the pick. I really don't. I don't know if it's just because she's a big thing right now. And always. I mean, we've been talking about Activia for a million years at this point. I don't understand Jared Leto as the hatbox ghost. You don't see his face. I had no idea that, that was him. I, I had to be told by the credits that he was there. If I was looking for him, I would have had no idea he was there. Please tell me if he's usually doing a British accent. But it seems like there are a lot of British actors they could have tapped on the shoulder for this. And I do love the hatbox ghost designs. I think that's probably the spot of magic for me, for sure. Also the kitty cat. I usually find Rosario Dawson dry, but she can act. I did like her in Mandalorian though. Mystifying? Most of the movie was mystifying to me. I know I said the movie was really dark earlier, and it is. I do have astigmatism, so it is hard to see dark things, but I kind of started to think, geez, were they trying to make the CGI easier? Because I'm having trouble seeing what's going on. You're showing me a ghost. I can't see it. <laughs> can you can you point it out to me? I mean, they're glowing. I also thought the movie was just emotionally taxing. I think the grieving plot with Ben, um, Lakeith Stanfield, was extremely heavy and depressing. And This isn't a kid's movie, really. I mean, you could put it on for a kid, but 
the connection between grief and not wanting to live anymore, basically being suicidal, that was rough. I didn't enjoy that in either rewatching. Some other mystifying things. Ghosts holding axes. That's never going to make sense to me. Ever. Can ghosts hold things? They are often holding things, but it doesn't really seem like something a ghost should be able to do. At one point, all of the characters are clustered together, and (laughs) I think it's Owen Wilson who says, like, I don't know if any of us are going to make it out of this alive. And he's saying this in front of a child. Like, the, uh, the whole cast continues to forget that there's a child in their presence. At one point, he has to say, I'm a child. This kid's going to need therapy for a long time after this. He was haunted by a ghost. That's horrifying. I can't forget that. The backstory for Crump was hysterical. The animation was really choppy. It reminded me of like a point and click adventure game, which is funny because the intro to the 2003 movie reminded me of the intro to a point and click adventure game or like a Nancy Drew game. If a Nancy Drew game got like a really crazy huge budget. Also, Crump is what my grandma called loose meat sandwiches. Fun fact. Crump's origin story is that his father kicked him out of the house for crying too much at his mother's funeral, which sounds like a Jack Donaghy quote from 30 Rock, doesn't it? About his upbringing. Also, Dan Levy is in the movie very briefly, and so is Winona Ryder as a blonde. She's always delightful. Dan Levy is essentially playing a character that if I were to ever get a movie role, that's probably the one I would get. And it would be in a movie I made myself. And that was the only role that I could play. But my friend Melinda would think it was funny. And she would laugh. Otherwise, interesting inclusion. I also saw an article about how the product placement was heavy handed in the movie. I didn't, I barely remembered the product placement after the first watch. But on the second watch, I was prepared for it. And wow, Zatarans. The Yankee Candle scene which would have still been funny if they had just said, do we need a French vanilla candle for this? And then Rosario Dawson like, oh, my Amazon subscription. The movie just kind of ruins its own jokes and in general just takes things too far. That's how I feel about it. So I had been avoiding seeing the Eddie Murphy version, the 2003 version, for 20 years. Exactly. I wasn't going to see it. It didn't look good. It just never appealed to me. However, seeing this in theaters, because I just like going to the movies, seeing the 2023 version, maybe want to revisit the 2003 version just to see. And I heard it was kind of a cult classic. So obviously, I wanted to check it out. I wanted to stick my little nose in there and see what it was all about. And I thought it was really cute. This movie, PG, I would definitely sit a kid in front of this movie and, you know, just tell him, you might get a little bit of a scare. You might. It's going to be too long. You're going to get bored after a while. And the ending is batshit. But hey, it's fun. And it is fun. I'm not saying it's Amadeus, okay? But I did like it. And watching it a second time, I liked it more. Maybe compared to the 2023 version, which is just kind of like a dark gray movie. It helps that Eddie Murphy is just a genuinely funny guy. He's just funny. You can give him any line. I don't know if he was making up his own lines. Not to be that person who's like, ooh, was the script improvised? It sounded like the lines were written for him. You know, I chuckled. I chuckled many times. Another thing that jumped out at me about the movie was how young the mom is. Uh, Sarah, 
And I looked it up. I think she was like 25. Guess who wasn't anywhere near 25 at the time? Eddie Murphy. And you can tell she looks very young and it is distracting. Also, her hair changes quite a bit. The continuity on that must have been difficult. Love the peach power suit, though, that she's wearing. You don't see a lot of those. I absolutely love the cast for this one. Master Gracie is way more interesting than the like CGI guy in the 2023 version. I love that actor, Nathaniel Parker. I thought he was great. I think a lot of moms who are watching it are probably going to have a crush on him. I don't know, maybe just me. Terrence Stamp. I think I laughed every time he popped up on the screen. Terrence Stamp is a delight. We should be grateful every time we are in his presence. Whatever they were doing with his hair is so cute. He's hysterical. When Eddie Murphy is... The kids were great too. The son, um, Michael Jordan Evers. Hilarious. Every face he did was making me laugh in some way. Even the extremely grown-worthy, I see dead people. Like, who threw that in at the last minute? Well, they're gonna get him. Sixth Sense is really big right now. Megan, great. Wallace Shawn, great. We love Wallace Shawn. Madame Leota is superior in this. No, we don't get to see Jennifer Tilly in, like, a traditional Russian, like, folk costume. Or is that, like, a royal, um, a royal dress? But it's Jennifer Tilly. Again, it, this is going back to Terrence Stamp. When we get to be in her presence, we should be grateful. And I just like her makeup better, which leads me to my biggest point about this movie. It's so colorful. Why do we have to watch a Haunted Mansion movie and it's just all dark blue and gray? You can't see anything and you're like, are we in a house? I don't know. (laughs) They still manage to make it colorful and fun. I imagine the rides are colorful and fun. Everything I've seen from them are. We know we didn't get a line from a doctor about how Danny DeVito was an old man riding a chair down a road and him saying, I don't like the chair, which was probably my favorite line from the 2023 version. But we did get Eddie Murphy delivering that line very sheepishly. Hey, he's not really kissing your mom. That's such a good line. I think about it all the time. Everything memeable is from this movie, for sure. Him saying, look, come on, dad's having more hallucinations. Let's go. Scene that freaked me out when the daughter was swimming through that mausoleum water. Oh my god, I would immediately take her to the hospital. You know what I mean? Well, I'd make her take a shower and then I'd take her to the hospital like, is my daughter okay? She was swimming through mausoleum water. I don't even, I don't want to think what's in that water. And when they pulled that key out, uh, after desecrating that grave, that key made like this slimy sound. Someone needs to go back and fix that. That was gross. I don't think it should have made that sound. I don't know. I think we can all agree that by the end, when Terrence Stamp is being dragged to hell by that big like flaming whip, we all just kind of zone out. I still don't really understand why that was happening. I thought the mom looked cute in her wedding gown. I'm not sure what era that was supposed to be. Hmm? In my original review, I wrote, The cast quizzically looking on as an inexplicable blue orb descends into the mom's womb, as if to say, How the fuck would you even describe what's happening right now? I think that sums up the end of the movie, really. What is happening? What's really happening through most of it? Doesn't matter, because we had fun. I will watch it again. It's stupid and dumb and fun. And unfortunately, the 2023 version couldn't be stupid and dumb and fun. I'm starting to think 
We don't know how anymore. Okay? Chew on that. My mood this week? Distracted. I'm distracted by everything. Distracted by Pokemon, sounds outside, the rain, my fitness tracker, any YouTube video. You name it and it is distracting me. But then when I finally get in the zone, it feels really great. Is anyone else feeling distracted? I'm sure. I'm happy to report I'm not as tired as I was in my last episode. I think this little mammal is starting to adjust. You know, I'm starting to adjust. So that's going to wrap it up for me this week. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon.